For the best new tech and the hottest techniques on ice, you're listening to Iced Up with Andrew Gullickson and Luke Lemire. Hey everybody and welcome to Iced Up. This is Season 1, Episode 13. I'm Andrew Gullickson sitting alongside Luke Lemire in the Phillips Blackberry Man Cave. Iced Up is brought to you by Circuit Race and Beaver Tail Baits. Well, Luke, it's certainly a little bit warmer than last time we were talking. Uh, a lot warmer than last time we were talking. We're talking damn near 60 by Wednesday coming up here. Yeah, it was almost negative 60 last time, it felt like. Uh, yeah, it did. I mean, we actually had to move this into the house because I wasn't burning a cord <laughs> of wood to get this heated up out here last time. Yeah, it, uh, it sure took quite the turn. We were in the negative 20 to negative 30 range there for about a week, put on a good foot of ice, and then now we're losing it, and the old shorelines might be going here pretty soon. Yeah, shorelines are looking like they're going to be going here pretty soon. We got sunny skies, and we don't have much for clouds in the forecast. Our shorelines are going to be going here pretty quick, and especially with us getting that foot of ice like you were talking, people were... Not hesitant about driving vehicles on the ice, and with the amount of salt and stuff they put in the roads here, that's all transferring to the ice, especially for that first drop you get onto shoreline, going onto landing there, it's going to all, a lot of it's going to drop right there, so it's going to be the first thing that goes. Yep, that's always, you know, late ice safety is just as important as early ice. Uh, you can get some, you can get some really thick ice that turns into honeycomb, and just turns into absolute garbage. You can put a four wheeler through two feet of ice if it, you know, when it starts to rot. Right. I mean, it's like you said, you gotta look at your late ice just like you gotta look at your early ice. I mean, it starts, we have this warm cell coming up here. If we don't have a turn come on it, you're gonna be going through the same standpoints as you would for early ice going out and walking out, spud barring. I mean, you're still going to have tracking on the ice, so you might not, might not have to worry about your ice cleats and this stuff as much. But with the sun we're going to be having and uh, snow melting off, you're going to have a good slick on top of it with water. So it, ice cleats might as well just be a must at that point in time. And as this ice sheet starts going off, one thing that I've learned is you can drill a hole about halfway down or a third of the way down and stop. And see if any water starts seeping through. And basically that just shows that you've got honeycomb or that your ice is kind of rotting and actually letting water through it. And that's when it starts getting real iffy. Um, and you can, you know, I start by doing it like a third, a quarter to a third of the way down. I'll lift up and kind of see if anything's going on. Then I'll go halfway down and give it a minute. And then, you know, obviously drill, drill all the way through. We're almost to the bottom and see see where that ice is starting to get soft. That'll give you an idea of what the quality of your, quality of your ice is. Also, this time of year, um, you got to look at ice color. In, this, uh, in the fall, it seems like dark ice is generally your good ice, your solid stuff. When the ice is going out, it's exactly the opposite. When you get ice, yes. dark ice pockets, those are the ones that are absorbing heat. They're turning to, to crap fastest, and they're usually pretty mushy. you got to stay away from those dark pockets. Right. As always, 
bring uh you know bring those the striker suit out uh picks just be prepared for it um it, it, we've probably got a little while here at least in in northern wisconsin i think it'll take a little while to to erode the ice it, it's pretty good still the shorelines are getting a little worse but once you get onto the sheet it, it's pretty good southern yeah. wisconsin not the same deal though that's going quick correct and that's our biggest concern up in our area right now is the shorelines if you can get out on the ice safely yes it's it will be fine because last time i punched a hole which was about a week ago i was running anywhere between 17 to 21 inches of ice depending on the spot you drilled and that's gonna take a while i don't care what kind of sun wind whatever you have you're gonna have safe ice out there it's just trying to get to that safe ice is yep. what you gotta try and avoid yep like you mentioned that first drop down off the landing or where there's rocks or gravel on the shoreline gets really thin it's also a safer place to fall through but it's never fun to get wet especially no. going out and that or the other thing is you go out you spend a whole day and i've had this happen where the ice gets crappier as the day goes on and you can't get back off right that's something to really think about is how am I going to get off or what am I going to do to get off if, if uh, you know, this, the shoreline starts to get bad because that's a real concern. So, but that also means when you get that, that water running back into that hole, the holes and things start warming up, generally start to see some really active fishing. Yeah. And well, I was actually able to get out. I posted it on our Facebook page. It was a month since I've been out between our cold spell and other obligations I had going on and actually had a good time out. I went out on a Sunday and didn't have any expectations at all of how I was going to do. I didn't get on the ice set up actually fishing till I punched my grid till nine, nine 30. Then I had overcast, overcast skies. I had a front moving in, but I ended up pulling a very good crappie out. I had to weed through some, but it just goes to show you that it doesn't matter what time you go out as long as you play your weather conditions right. I mean, you can go out at 11 o'clock as long as your weather conditions are right. And you'll end up with a, even if you pull that one fish, it made it worth going out that day. Yeah, and I think one thing, and we're going to get into some, some pan optics and stuff today quite in detail, but one thing I've seen is that especially your deeper fish and your basin fish like crappies, Sometimes they're a 10 to 2 bite. They are, you know, they are the nice ones. You can you can have a couple beers the night before. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And and see, for me, that's how my season usually goes. I mean, during the, you get down to your early ice, air quotes, and, and for me, early ice is about 6 to 8 inches is when I'm, heading out there i know you'll go out there a little bit earlier maybe at about that five to six range or whatnot maybe a little bit before that but and for me i'm when i first start my season i'm very much focused on a bluegill bite i'm looking mm -hmm. for those big bluegills and everything else and you're more of a crappy guy through and through well early ice definitely bluegills actually uh, i wouldn't say i'm crappies through and through just in this area it's when you're looking at a, a real trophy fish you got it we've got some real access to some trophy crappies bluegills you do in certain sp spots but you're not going to it's there's a lot fewer of them <laughs> right i mean i'm i was lucky enough i actually 
fish more this year than I have in years past, and which I'm thankful for. And I pulled some very good bluegills this year, and I pulled some very good crappies this year, starting by the fact of I started my first time going out of targeting bluegills. I'm looking for those cribs through Navionics, whether they be there or not, because some people can update that and say they're not there anymore, and they might have just dropped a crib last week, and they don't know about it. But I go through and I start, I'm very much on early ice looking for bluegills, and then those early season pike and bass. Mm-hmm. And then once I hit about the mid-February range, I'm strictly going on crappies. I'm looking, I'm moving out to that 30 foot of water and looking for the flats and chasing those. Yeah, and that's a, that's a really good pattern to have that time of year because those fish are out there. Most, many of the fish have, have left the weeds and uh you know they they migrated out there's still some there's still definitely some shallow fish our lakes don't have and i'm generalizing here but most of them don't have great weed beds that come way out they're so deep and they drop off so fast there's so much tannins in them that they don't have that distinct weed line that a lot of lakes have so um no our lakes around here you can step off the shore in some lakes you take like a stride is about three feet you can step three feet off the shore and you'll be above your head on some lakes other yeah. lakes you'll be up to your knees other lakes you'll be up to your ankles some you can step about maybe a foot off and you'll be six feet above your head yep there aren't many where you can go 100 feet offshore and not be in at least 15 feet of water though they yep. go pretty quick yes so those weeds excuse me those weeds only have a little area they can grow because a lot of them have tannins and we got a lot of bogs they're darker stained lakes or if they aren't uh some of them are flowages and they're just super productive they've got really green water with a lot of the a lot of phytoplankton in them and it just shades out the sun you don't get weeds everywhere in those or you do get weeds out a ways in the shallow areas but you know they don't come out as far and the weed lines aren't as distinct in those types of situations so those there's just a ton of lakes then that have those basin bites for bluegills and crappies, but mainly the crappies here just seem to do really well. And by by February, you're chasing them all over the place. They, you know, they really go well. It makes it tougher to tip up fish being out there further, though. Yes, it does. I mean, we had that instance come through uh, last last weekend when I was out. We I had a extra long day at work. And knew I wasn't get out, getting out anytime early in the morning. So I got out and got out in the morning. And I think I actually got set up at about nine o'clock. And it was there wasn't a cloud in the sky. It was we got off the ice, and my dad that I went with and another one of our friends went out with, and all of us were beat red from the wind, the little bit of wind we had, and the sun coming off. So was not a great situation for a crappie bite but we went out and we set out flags and we had gotten some flags and it was tough I and mean, we went and adjusted depths went and moved tip ups and did everything underneath the sun it was just getting that time of year where it's it was a tough bite trying to get anything uh, hit on a flag yeah and 
that can you know this time of year can be kind of tough too you're not quite into like spring patterns but with the and with a quick warm-up i thought fishing would really pick up fast and it seems like the fish kind of went whoa wait a minute what just happened and it was kind of a lag there for for a while where it, they still seemed really sluggish well and i think the part of that coming on is that yeah if you have a warm-up usually a warm-up is you have two or three days and then you'll drop back into seasonal temperatures but we haven't done that for a week yeah it's been hot yeah it's <laughs> wisconsin been, hot but hot <laughs> it's well i've seen well it's wisconsin like you said that people wear shorts in 30 degrees but we're calling for 60 degrees here by next wednesday it's yeah. it's getting stupid warm stupid quick and usually a good rule of thumb in this area is when the boys basketball tournament hits you're going to get dumped on with about six feet of snow. It's going to get cold. And, well, we've been watching the boys' basketball tournament tonight, and it's they're still calling for damn near 60 degrees tomorrow. Yeah. I'm sure we'll get some snow yet, but it's uh, it's getting really warm. And throughout quite a bit of the ice belt, it has really picked up quick. We we also we gained our ice really fast. Now we're going to lose it really fast, oh, unfortunately. Yeah. It was looking like we were going to have a good April of fishing and uh, we might have a good April in the boat. The way it's looking. <laughs> yeah. So, and going back to the last couple of times or the last time I was out where I actually did, I got a very good crappie on one of the thicker ones that you and I have seen this year. Going back on that standpoint of, I got out, I didn't have high expectations or anything. It was the overcast skies and I started off small. I was in 26 feet of water Start off small with small tugs of legs, small split tail plastic on, and I just dropped that down right away. I was marking fish, suspended fish at that. I had fish at the bottom, and I had fish about in the middle of the water column. Tried to fish down at the bottom, didn't want anything, brought it up to the top, didn't want it. Made the switch. Switched over to a different rod, went to a bigger, I actually went straight to a digging spoon. I didn't try a bigger jig or anything like that. Went to a digging spoon. It was actually a rattling fire spoon. Dropped down through, uh, what the hell did it throw on? Oh, through waxes on it right away. Didn't get anything on there. Tried beaver tail right after that. They had interest in it, but didn't want to commit to it. I had crappie mills with. I threw a whole crappie mill on trying that. And all of a sudden, I had one race off the bottom and just wanted to come and slam it. I'm like, all right. I made a change went through and that this process was within 15 to 20 minutes if that it might have been shorter just rattling through everything trying to see what the hell they wanted right away and sometimes it's what you need to do i mean you need to make the switch sometimes people will sit on stuff for half 20 minutes to a half hour see if they want to try different cadences but sometimes you just got to make the hard switches right away that quick just to see what they want yeah, that lake was kind of a, a real anomaly for me this year because um, I got out and fished it after you after you got those. We talked and I got out there, and that lake seems to be uh, where they're just they're minnow eaters, um, which is different from everywhere else. Anywhere else I've been, they've been you know there's a lot of plankton. You get the bugs on the bottom, and they tend to be focused on smaller stuff they, they'll definitely eat a five millimeter tungsten and beaver tail because it's you know a little bigger snack instead of eating the little tiny plankton but 
they want small and a spoon would scare them on almost every other bite i've only caught a couple on a spoon and when i was out there that that was the weird lake where i mean jigging wraps were yeah. really good um slab wraps were catching fish we were getting them on you know like a z-viber pretty pretty regularly we didn't have to finesse it they just crushed the z-viber with like a minnow head on it or a piece of that then you could put a, just a meat beaver tail would be fine on the on the hook but they you know tungsten i think i caught a couple on tungsten but they weren't better fish and right. they didn't come up fast to it they just happened to grab it and see the last time i went out there too they started it was the i fished it like twice and the second time i went out was nine day different conditions i first time i fished it i had a front coming in it was overcast i had some snow coming down and that's what i got uh, on the digging spoon with the minnow and then the second day when we went out we took a break in midday to have something to eat and listen to the badger game which was pathetic to say the best <laughs> and we went back out when we actually there's actually a front coming in so all of a sudden the overcast started to move in you saw clouds and we went i went back to my same tactics and i would have them basically just suck a whole minnow in but it wouldn't take it that's when i made the switch and went over to beaver tail hooked a piece of beaver tail just a single piece on a fucking on a treble hook dropped it down did my same cadence they sucked in but it was less of a piece for them to suck in where they were actually able to suck the treble in there also in their mouth also as soon as i saw the spring bobber go down because i was still fishing a spring bobber on it brought up and I was able to hook them right in the solid part of the mouth where they were not coming off. Yep, making that little bit of a of a switch, and that's actually what I did too. Um, when I, when I was fishing, it was sunny both days, and I started out with a whole minnow on a uh, a little different jigging spoon, but still a whole minnow on a jigging spoon from our conversation, and started out catching them pretty good in the morning, and uh, by midday with the sun up. I would I would actually have them suck the minnow off the spoon without ever touching hooks. Yep. And I started going to to minnow heads, and then got really sick of putting minnow heads on. To be quite honest, my <laughs> yeah. minnow bucket was never where I was jigging because I was hopping around, and was like, all right, well they're they're eating a smaller piece of meat. Let me try beaver tail on it, and then they ate beaver tail at least as well too. Um, but going yeah exactly what you said the smaller profile yeah also with the beaver tail they weren't they weren't able to suck it off so at least they'd have to take that second bite because they still had it in their mouth right and with that smaller profile on there they're getting closer up to it where you don't have the yep. beaver tail slice is a third maybe of what an actual crappie mill is depending on your size that you're pulling out of your middle bucket at that time so especially with that swing on there too when they're coming up and being able to suck in they're sucking the bottom half of the axis coming off for the treble hooks to be able to suck everything in so they're able to suck the barbs in with it also so yep. once you actually see your spring bobber or whatever you're doing for your action indicator to be able to bring up you actually have something there to be able to fight then yep so that was yeah that like was pretty cool to see that they were definitely focused on that really big presentation i mean you do not think of crappie fishing very often with a rattling flyer spoon and a full minnow not or, this area yeah, not at all yeah not not a lot of places or a jigging wrap um 
and that's what you were, you know, when the bike got tough, that's what you were getting them on. They were flying up to that when it was really work to get them on a Dunkston jig. Right, and this is like I was looking at getting on a month prior. I mean, we had our cold spell hit. I had other stuff come up in my personal life where I was able to get out there, and I still, my, it's a hometown lake that I've fished before, and I still just want to get out there and see what it does. And I was, like I said, I shocked myself yeah. going out there. I'm like, it was basically just, I did a camp day out there. I did a grid of holes. I lost a very good one at the hole and ended up having to set up the shack because of the wind. My spring bobber turned into an ice cube. So I set up the shack, and I think I threw one of the college basketball games onto my phone and threw it in the pocket and just held out. And I ended up getting fish coming through, and I think I had a good school come through at about every 20 minutes or so. Just kept the locator on. I still was jigging and trying to pull stuff off the bottom because I was still marking. Granted, some of that was probably bugs, but I was still grad marking fish down there because I would yeah. have a thick red dry line come through those bugs at the bottom. Well, and we were seeing too when we fished it was the uh, there was actually bluegills right glued to the bottom quite often, and sometimes there'd be a crappie down there. The bigger crappies were coming up though, like you said, the suspended fish. We found them, and that was that spot was depending on where you were fishing it, twenty to twenty six feet deep. Yeah, yeah, and about that. When they were active in the mornings, especially the jigging rat fish, those bigger fish, we were catching most of those at five to six feet under the ice. Yeah, and they're way up, just completely. Yeah, threw me for a loop. And I had fished that lake actually a, about a month before that, and decided it just wasn't, it wasn't what I was looking to get into because the fish were so spread out. I wasn't seeing groups of them anywhere. The, the few that I caught. And I was using tungsten, but the few that I caught were smaller, eight and nine inch fish, which there's a lot of in there. Um, so I think that later, that later in the season pattern, and some of those fish moving out there, really kind of led to that. Um, so Luke, my last trip out, uh, I got to do a little bit of perch and walleye fishing, kind of a a, a neat deal uh, that that I was able to get on, and. I had a client actually bring out Panoptics Live Scope uh, from Garmin, and I've I've used the Panoptics now for about half of this season. Really changed the game for for crappie fishing for me. I'd seen Live Scope used once, kind of toyed with it a little bit, but getting to use it for a full day, uh, it's pretty amazing equipment. Definitely pricey. You're looking around the three grand range. Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, and definitely heavy. I was amazed, like carrying a child around. Like the Panoptics bundle alone is is you know pretty heavy. This is an extra at least four to five pounds. Heavier. Which is kind of funny with every way, everything that's going into ice fishing right now. And the biggest thing is cutting weight. Our striker suits, our rods, our the batteries we put in our locators. Battery augers, yeah. <laughs> Battery augers. I mean, uh, Strike Master 24 volt lays maybe, what, five pounds tops? Yeah, they're so light. Yeah. If that. And then you look at that unit and you're like, oh my God, I can't believe how heavy this thing is. Yeah. And the butt on the trade off, so you're hauling that thing to like one hole and it allows you to hold, to, to drill like. A third of the holes that you would normally to stay on those fish, or just 
it shows you, you know, where to stay on fish or where they aren't, which, right. which could be extremely helpful and if that, you aren't on them. And that's a trade-off, too, because you're looking at it also as that this is not a unit that it's not like your locator. You're not taking it from hole to hole that you pop. You're popping a centrally located hole and being able to scan around you. Yep. So that way you're cutting your drilling in half, if not a more than a third, to be able to get down there, to be able to figure out where your schools are at, to be able to uh, go out and find out where the fish are. So then you're taking your locator where you've cut the weight on your battery and everything else to be able to get out to those fish to be able to pop holes. Yep. And not only does it take it take your drilling down but you learn a ton about the fish that are underneath you using it uh, the way they move to your bait oftentimes like when you see you know that line come up and you miss a fish and then you think you jig them back in or something like that you can actually see that fish like come past like hit the brakes and come back to you and then you know come up yep. like it's not even like you jigged him back up like you were just still there and he came in so fast that he had to turn around <laughs> took yep. a little ways it's neat to just learn so much and so this kind of leads all into uh, our guest for today he's a 2019 minnesota state panfish champion he's a two-time uh upl team of the year winner and he, he used to fish on the usa ice fishing team so welcome to the show lawrence loma How's it going tonight? All right. Thank you much. Just uh, changing gears here and actually sitting in my boat, getting ready to uh, hit pool two on Mississippi tomorrow morning instead of uh, pre-fishing for the national championships, which we decided to not do next week because of my shoulder and other issues I'm having. So I had so shoulder surgery a little while ago, so just trying to get back to it, but trying to do some overwater fishing tomorrow morning in the river. It's easier driving the boat than trying to drive the four-wheeler around the uh -huh. lake and drilling 300 holes you know so it's a little easier there. than that it just scared to push it a little bit you know it's amazing how hard ice fishing is on the body sometimes my knees are about like beat up and my hands are all torn up from a season <laughs> of guiding it's pretty crazy yeah but, i remember when uh i fished team usa i was always told myself prior to that i'm going to do a bunch of yoga to get into shape to uh so a lot of that's the palm rod and sitting on your knees. And I was just like, okay, I'm going to do a lot of yoga, get in shape for that. And I never did. Then you get done <laughs> doing it for three hours straight. It's like and not moving your spot. It's like, okay, I wish I did it more, you know? Yeah, definitely. So anyways, uh, what we brought you here tonight, we want to talk about panoptics and, and live scope. First, take us through a little bit of what it is. Uh, I've used it. Luke has seen me use it a little bit. Yeah, I have. But Take us through it for anybody that's listening that, that isn't really familiar with what this machine does. Well, what it really does is really give you a, a, a larger view, right? And it's a live view um, compared to, like, say, your, your, your Vexlar and everything like that and your flasher type, right? If you're fishing your hole, it's going to give you um, straight up and down view, right? So you're going to see your hook, everything straight below the view. What the panoptics do is you can do it in two different modes. You can do it in the down viewing mode or you can shoot out and, you know, there's different techniques there. But if you're down viewing, then you can see a wider view mode. You can see fish come in, react faster. Now, there's days where, yeah, if you're on a tough bluegill bite, you definitely want to switch back to your flasher because you can watch it real-time uh, events where there because this, there is a little bit delay to it. But with the picture of down view, you can actually see fish come in, react to your bait, do things you don't want to do, you know, and, and things like that too. 
Now, the main advantage that we find out on the tournament scene, right, is where we're using uh, the live scope is we can scan out, you know, up to 100 feet, 120 feet out and point it in a direction and actually see the live view, live action of fish, you know, up to 100 feet away. So I can actually put that into a hole, scan out to 100 feet out, see the group of crappies at, and you can even see that, oh, they're only 40, 40 feet away. So I tell my partner partner you know we know we've, we've actually fished now side by side to where i know 40 feet's about 30 30 of his steps all right 30 steps that way go drill a hole on top of him and right there you can get on on a school of crappies that instant because it's showing the live view of that and you can even see with the fish where they're actually moving to so i can take it turn it my hole okay well they're moving to the left now I'll go to the left i'll tell my partner move to the left go that way you know and then he's actually got a, what we do a lot of times is use two of them and we can actually tag team each other and just keep following schools that way across the lake and so really what it does is it gives you an option of live view of a of a, what's happening below the ice especially when ice fishing and you can actually target exact fish at the time you're at because you know a lot of times you see people mistakes of fishing empty holes or there's no fish at all well this is going to tell you exactly where the fish are and where they're going to be yeah it's something I, I do a lot of guiding specifically for crappies and it is amazing how many holes i don't have to drill in some ways, but also, as you alluded to, how many holes you drill because now you know where they are and they're not by you. It, it, it went from, you know, people say, oh, you know, now you can be a little bit lazy. It's like, well, kind of in that I'm always on fish, but to be on fish, now mm -hmm. I'm doing 200 plus holes to stay on them instead of fishing a hole that's dead for 20 minutes. So it yeah, really exactly. And, you know, I'd say. I would say it's changed. You know, I've been tournament fishing for 10 years now and it's changed the evolution. Tournament fishing in itself has changed the evolution the way I fish, especially for basin crappies and things like that too, to where, you know, I've learned from the Myron Gilberts of the world, you know, using a tack bucket, you know, drill out basins and just go drill out 20 holes at a time. Go, go, go with an attack bucket because you can attack the holes as you go step by step through it. You know, and this has changed that game now to where I don't use that attack bucket because now that's too cumbersome to go when I need to run to that spot with my flasher, get to that spot, fish those holes while those crappies are there, get a hole there, you know, and then I can just have my, my light um, uh, Gens blue box now with my amp battery in it because it's super light, go there, drop there, grab that hole there, and then, okay, now where are we going to the next spot? So we don't, we just kind of, it's over evolved to where, okay, attack buckets were one thing. Now we're back to lightweight flashers just because we can, the panoptics has changed exactly, go to this exact spot. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. I've even, like, I've seen it. I know in the, uh, in the tournament game for years, you guys have used pretty small augers, especially in the panfish stuff. Usually it was a five inch. Yeah. Now, I guess, I think everybody has had to go to six inch to get a live scope transducer in it. Can you get it in a five? Or is it pretty tight? No, no. It's, you got to use six inches. Yep, yep. You got to yep. use six inches. And then even now, too, the biggest thing is, is I switched to the summit pole um, with the perspective view this year, right? Because you want to get the perspective view now, too. And luckily, finding that out, that does fit down to six-inch hole just barely, too, that way. If you use okay. the regular pole that comes with the Garmin, I don't know if you can fit it in there or not, but it's pretty close with that one. But for sure, with the, the summit pole with that mount, you can get it into six-inch hole now that way, too. So. Okay. And yeah, for people listening, it, it's, the view is almost like, almost like radar or like a live MRI CAT scan. Radar would be a good way to put it on there. Yeah. It, it's, you know, you're, yeah. you're moving it around and you can literally see those fish moving into your, into that cone and, uh, or, or moving out of it. Um, I saw something really cool with a group on Friday on a lake that started to have a lot more pressure since our big cold front we had. 
and mm-hmm. uh, it's normally a lake where you can you can find a school, drill into it, and the fish kind of move a little bit, and you can pretty much stay on them. And we had it where those same same fish, big schools, 60, 70, 100 crappies, as soon as somebody would take a step from the live scope towards the school, by the third step, if they were more than, they'd be gone in 26 feet of water or more in a real, with a right. snow on the ice. And it's amazing what you can really learn with that machine. Well, and it's, you know, it always makes you wonder too, because a lot of times you always hear too is, oh, well, we're just scaring them. We're scaring them. We're scaring them. And it's like, and parts of you also thinks too, you know, got to look at things holistically. Okay. What's actually happening underneath the water. These fish, in my opinion, have always, especially in the basins move this much and move that fast. I mean, yeah, mm-hmm. there might be some scenarios where you are scaring the fish, but I think what it is, is just, it's really opening us up to fish that you've never seen before because they are moving that fast. You know, before you might get lucky, drill a hole, drop your Vexar. Hey, he's there for a second. You got him, But then you wonder why. How come I only caught one and the fish scattered? Well, I don't know if the fish really scattered. You just caught the one that happened, the the group that happened to be moving through, and you only had time to catch the one out of that hole, you know? So it just kind of gives you a little change of pace of where these fish are actually are, where they're moving to, and it, it just allows you to see different things that you've never seen before in the lake. Yeah, it's, it's a completely different perspective, which that was another interesting thing. That's something that I haven't even looked into a lot. I've heard of perspective mode. So... A lot of our listeners and like I've, I've used down view and the regular front view. What does perspective view kind of offer? What is that doing? Well, so, you know, when, so when you're using the regular view and I always want to say the regular forward view, right? And we're always, a lot of times when we're talking tournament fishing for, uh, we're fishing for crappies and sunfish, you're not really ever really using the down view, right? You always want to use the forward right. view. Well, that forward view, and I don't know the exact specs what it is but if you point that out right that's only going to be really a, a 10 to 15 degree cone shooting from your arrow to straight out to that 100 feet right and actually it stays as narrow as it can because it's going to give you more detail that way um what what the perspective view did and i think there must have been uh, an afterthought or a thing they found after the fact that is if you actually take that transducer turn it on its side and point it upside down it's actually going to show up and actually show you uh, about a 130 degree view i think it is so it's almost a whole, almost, you know, 180, but it is, I think it's only 130 degree view, um, might be 160. Again, I just don't know the exact specifics, but it's going to give you a wider plane view and it'll actually, if you're using it in shallower water and in deeper water, it matters how you tip it, but you can see the bottom and the weed clumps and you can also see every single fish in that view. Okay. And, it, and it's really cool. And you can actually see them swim. And now at this time, because it's giving you that wider view, you can actually watch these fish swim, swim around weeds, swim up, zigzag through things. And you can watch these specks. And especially when you go to a weed clump or a shallow area, you, what I do a lot of times, because one of the things I still haven't done and perfected is where this perspective view out of that 130 degrees zone is where it's actually pointing to, right? In the reference middle. to like, say my pole. That's one thing I still need to redefine i've been meaning to do it but with shoulder injury this just wasn't a it wasn't one of my main priorities to figure out right away this year and just didn't happen um but to figure out where exactly where it goes so then i know where to go especially in a tournament scene where we're we're pre-fishing right we may open that flat say hey wow look at all that well i can go over there take my four inch auger with my camera drill the one hole there go yeah this is this weed clump is exactly where i want cover it up a little better don't look like i peppered out the whole area and get on and move and you know move on okay no one let's go check that out later on and fish it later um but what's nice is it just gives you that wide view you can see all the 
fish there. And then you can actually see them in specks. And it looks just like anything like down imaging, anything else where you actually see a white line, white speck, and you just see the fish move through the screen. And you can actually, you know, just see wider areas. And it really makes uh, weed fishing a lot easier, too, in that sense. So and that's, the, that's a real benefit of is weed fishing there. So you're getting that whole, basically, it's like if you took the forward view and spun it a half hole, you're getting that whole 180 degree view, but at one time. So it's, it's a lot more live, but at one time. Yep. And that's one yeah, thing. I almost that, say it's like you cut, you know, that 360 in a, in a third, right. And then you're pointing yep. it out there and looking, but you're seeing live view instead of waiting for the thing to refresh all the time. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point too. And that's one thing you, that you kind of alluded to with the perspective view is it took me a little while. I'm just running a, a, a pan optics regular which basically the live scope is yeah. a filtered version, much more high detail, obviously a lot more expensive too and heavier, but much better detail. I played with one this, mm -hmm. this last week. But when I, when I yeah. use that forward view, I'll find a fish and I'll kind of go back and forth to find the center because it is, yeah, 10 or 15, 19, whatever it is that, that beam going out, if that fish is further away, you'll hit the side of that, that cone and it's kind of just like your vexilar if you think of tick, tipping your vexilar sideways the fish will hit the cone yeah. and it'll show up and if you go straight off your handle you're missing that fish by three four feet and depending on your water depth it, you you may not even see them on a flasher um so you know there is a little bit of playing with that and finding right where that center of the beam is so i can it's got to be it's probably pretty wide with that perspective so that's got to be a little bit tougher yeah, again, with the perspective, it's 130 degrees. So, you know, you think about it, it's it's pretty, the whole area, if you just look out, it's almost your peripheral vision, of, not the peripheral, but it's pretty much anywhere you can see in front of you. It's That's where it's pointing to. So it's it's really cool because, again, you can just look at a, drill a hole now. You drill, again, you're drilling less holes now. Instead of going drilling a hole flat, going with every hole of your camera, actually now pinpoint the spots you want to go with your camera now too. So it, it speeds up that type, type of uh, scouting and most, most speak in that sense too. So... All right, so let's switch over here a little bit and talk about a technique that this is, I mean, we've gotten into it a little bit, but is there anything specific that you've done with it, maybe that you can open people's eyes on, something that, uh, you know, a, a technique you've used it for where it's really changed the ball game? Well, you know, the, the biggest thing that LiveScope has done, and we've seen it on the tournament scene, right, is, again, it's it's and we, again, we've hit it on it a little bit is hitting these basin crappies. Right. So I want to say for my 10 years of tournament fishing, the, uh, you know, for those first until pan optics really came out right. 90% of these tournaments were one in the weeds, right? Not, every one of them, one, one in the weeds, because it just brought that average up, right? Yeah. You could hit some basin spots. You can catch those fish, but the, normally the fish that sit in the basin and don't move that much, they just weren't that big a size. Right. So you know, you, you say take a lake that was taking nine pound averages and winning out of the weeds and, you know, maybe the team with 10 pounds would win. We're actually, we're seeing that guys were able to pick off because at the same time, we're only trying to catch eight fish for your crappies. And you're able to find out that you're able to catch these crappies that weren't, weren't in these massive groups. These smaller groups they are in five, six, seven bunches, maybe even three bunches. And it's one of the things that we found out, even the difference between perspective view and live view was the, or the, um, the pan optics and the live scope and we say that was the live the pan optics would actually miss these groups of three to five crappies that are tight to the bottom and mm. they would be tight to the bottom to like to like one feet uh two feet 
and we'd, we'd, we'd run them side by side. Okay, can you see me? Can you not? Well, what we found out was is if you can get onto those schools of fish, right, the, the, the three to five of them, we're actually, and I'm, a, I'm really a, a light, um, let's say tiny guy, micro uh, using guys. Like I using a four millimeter jig is almost unheard of for me. I use three millimeter or less almost on the tournament scene. Well, now I'll find myself actually using spoons now just because we can drop it down faster on top of those fish and going back to a spinning reel just because we can get down on top of those three, five fish that are moving through, get one to bite. And then we find out that, man, all of a sudden now we're able to pluck out eight fish that are 12 inch or better almost a pound or better in these lakes that weren't ever touched where only maybe a team would get two three one pounders right so right. it brought up those weights almost two three pounds per average per tournament guys that were actually running it and doing it well and so hitting those basin fishers is one thing and being able to do that and then finding the technique of switching to a spinning rod and a spoon or using even a four or five millimeter tungsten because what was really cool is we found out those fish are really aggressive there's no yeah. fooling around getting it. As long as you get something down in front of their face, they're going to hit. Um, so between that and one of the things too, is, is keeping the, the, the live scopes on our uh, machines, right? So if we have two ATVs running, we actually have two machines and two live scopes running. We can actually hopscotch and get on top of these machines on these fish faster and, and jump on top of each one of those groups of fish. And it just seemed like it brought up our averages way better on those crappies. And all of a sudden you're sitting on lakes that normally you wouldn't see a lot of big crappies, but we're seeing averages come up and that's what you're always shooting for in these tournaments. Yeah. It's definitely been interesting. Uh, I know with clients, like I'll find large schools of fish and it tends to be the smaller fish or a smaller or smaller crappies mixed with bluegills in big schools. And it has been those, three to five, if I can find a school of three to five and that I can catch them, I, you know, just physically catch up to them with holes. Those are going to be my biggest fish of the day. That has definitely been true. Right. For me. Um, and it, that is interesting that you're seeing that on the tournament trail a lot too. And those fish, like you say, they probably, they've been there. They've always been there. We just, we never knew they were there or, you know, once in a while you're out in the basin and you happen to they swam into your holes is probably what happened you know into your grid right right but uh to stay on them was just never really possible with a flasher you just don't see enough water so right and there's there's lakes again too that we we've seen that to where you know in the past prior to live scope that's you know we've seen some lakes where man we're catching the same crappie over and over and over what can we do to upgrade our thing i was like well let's just go in the middle of the base and just drill 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 and we and also need to run into one and i've actually caught you know the largest crappie the tournament or the second largest crappie the tournament just doing that and we'd get one though doing that prior to live scope because they go out there all of a sudden you just happen like you're saying have to drop it down oh there is one there get down there oh we caught it bam all of a sudden it's like oh there we go we got a one pounder and there's only three one pounders caught in these tournaments well now guys are actually putting together eight of those fish and then that's right. the difference right there too and it ends you know in a three pound difference in your weights so uh, one thing i've noticed is the that when you get on some of these fish they tend to pick up that there's pressure it, it seems like you can get on them that that first time you find them and drill into them mm -hmm. i can catch them you know i can get a five millimeter tungsten or a spoon down there fast enough to kind of get their attention before they slide off the second time, maybe, but not three times. Is that something you see a, a lot? And how do you, do you chase those, or do you do you let them let them lay for a while, or how do you respond to well, those so, type of fish? 
that goes back down to that point to where I was staying before. I don't, I don't know. It's, it's hard to tell if those are pressured fish or if those are just fish, that's what they do. Right. So I think the biggest thing is it, it's the same thing. Cause they even, well, and I'll, I'll maybe transition to a little bit of spring fishing on that same topic, because I see it in the spring now too, doing that is, and I saw it a lot last spring with live scope out the bottom of my boat, but what we see is it just a fish are moving. Right. And that's where that staying on your machine, because we know if you spend the time to, Okay, grab my Vexlar, grab all that, go drill a hole on top of that one. I'm only going to get one. Well, then I got to run back to my machine, get on my machine, go. It just seems like, okay, are they getting pressured? Is, is it the machine scaring them off? You know, and then, again, that depends too on time of year. If it's first ice, well, yeah, your machine's going to scare them away and push right. them forward or, or drill on top of them. Is. But if there's snow on the ice, we're just finding out that these, I think in our opinion more, these fish are just generally swimming. So if you just stay on your machine, yeah, you may scare one or two more groups, but again, being more proficient and getting on top of those right away with your machine, all your stuff's with you, cut the one hole, get down there, drop that spoon as fast as you can down there. And then you're maybe lucky to pick off one or two more also because you got on them faster instead yep. of just, you know, grabbing all my stuff, running over there and then, Oh, missed them by this much. Let me run back to machine, repoint it again. Okay. Oh, they moved over 10 feet this way. Go back, drill your hole. You know, that back and forth right there, it's, we're seeing that is, is timely and it's making differences of catching fish. And I have to say that it's, it, it's been really eye opening seeing, you know, seeing what the fish are, are doing, how they're reacting to different things. And just, I never really saw it this way. Some lakes the I don't see schools of fish. I see one, you know, just, individuals maybe groups of two or three throughout an entire basin or multiple basins within that chain or within that you know lake and some of them i see just you know massive schools and um it's just it's really different i thought that they were always kind of in schools and, and stuff like that it is really just changing the yeah, game yeah. and changing how we understand fish and the last the i think it was last friday i took a group out and it was just amazing for me to see as like as people walk towards the fish and these fish were 40 feet away and 26 feet of water they the the whole school dropped and disappeared it was the first time i was on the machine because usually i take a flasher over and i'm helping people out but they were pretty skilled so i just mm -hmm. i had drilled holes and we had actually worked back to old holes and i and the fish had come back into old holes i'm watching the machine i watched them drop and they just disappeared and i'm like what what the heck I am running panoptic, so maybe on live scope I would have actually caught them all the way down on the bottom. And I started panning, and I watched them just like Star Trek come out right behind me and like come up off the bottom again. It was just really crazy to see sure. that type of like you walk towards them, they drop, they come back up away from the pressure. And I don't know. Again, it could be they're just moving, and that was the time time frame like you're saying. But um, it it's definitely a different perspective. Well, in that, and that's thought too, that, that Balsam Lake tournament we just fished uh, two weeks ago. Um, we were out there and we we're actually probably, well, we were one of three teams to find this spot. Two of the teams went in there and we, and we fished the spot and it was a basin bite. We we're the only two, te three teams that didn't go all the way to the north end of that lake. And people know that lake, that north end is just stacked full of fish. But we found out that these basin fish were bigger fish and they were almost a, they were almost a pound average fish that we found. And, oh, wow. and they were actually in a smaller, smaller area where they were, but they were actually less fish than 
I didn't find them. My partner found them and they were on them pr the day prior. They've been kind of watching them. And they actually the day before he was all excited because they, they really loaded up with a lot of fish. And then the day of it kind of went back to the same amount of fish that were in there. But what we noticed was the same thing, right? Where we were pushing them around and the other team was pushing around with their live scope. And we actually had, you know, the, we actually had only three live scopes because I didn't, again, normally we run around with our machines, but because of my shoulder problem, we only had the one machine and my partner was only able, I, he's the only one able to drill the holes too. So mm -hmm. he was out yeah. there he was drilling all the holes and I'm telling him, go here, go there. Well, because of our slowness of not tag teaming that, it kind of left us two crappy short at the end of the time, because I would say by the end of the two hours of us, the four guys, and the, there's another team that was in and out with us, but the amount of fish that we caught. And I think just the act of catching fish too, will scare off fish out of the course too, right? Yeah. If, yeah. if you went out of there, they're, they're going to push them out. I would say after that two hour time period, which was weird because they, when they went and checked them all the time, those fish were there all the time. And this, and it was a smaller little hole that they were in all of a sudden at, at about two and a half hours in there, they were gone. Hmm. And they were, I mean, there were, we, everyone was sitting and going around and you could tell cause the other team wasn't fishing either. And then you're just going around and also it was just like, man, what are There's we doing here? <laughs> Normally we would have been able to pick them off a lot faster because if I had been able to drill my own holes and do my own thing too, we'd have got a lot more fish, but then we ended up finding ourselves too short of the bigger crappies. Right. And they kind of messed us to go find sunfish that day, but we ended up still catching the biggest crappies of the tournament. We found two more in the others in other spots, but, but still it was just, it was interesting to see the pressure of four guys drilling nonstop on top of these fish and then pulling fish out of them really yep. made that whole school just go somewhere gone. It was like, okay, well now where'd they go? And I think at the end of the day, just some, these fish just do their own thing and they, they either feel the pressure, like you said, maybe, or they just maybe. have a thing where they just go on and they got other places to go, you know, and right. it's a timing thing. So yeah, and that's something yeah. I think we'll always, the good thing is that's something we'll always be playing with right now. Always guessing, yep. I think too, about these things. It's such new technology that, you know, we're learning a lot and I think we'll be able to, we'll be slowly piecing this together for probably 15 or 20 years as that technology even gets better. Um, hey, yeah, it, it's, I've seen some really crazy stuff. Some lakes, like in the morning, I just can't find a school anywhere just at all. And then at about 10 o'clock, after I've about given up, <laughs> all of a sudden, yeah. a school of 50 fish appears in front of my trans transducer. <laughs> and then they're everywhere. Yeah. I've had that happen. And then that goes till, you know, 3, 4 o'clock and the same thing again. All of a sudden, they're just gone. And... You know, right. what are these fish doing? And, and, you know, maybe that's explaining some of the, uh, uh, you know, some of these, what we consider bite windows. You know, maybe it's yeah. just that the fish aren't literally there. They're spread out. They're doing something. They're resting. They're, they're separating. Maybe in the morning they're finding their groups. Um, you know, that, that mid morning lull, maybe that explains that a little bit. It definitely, one thing that it has done for me and, Luke, we've experienced this. I think everybody ice fishing has experienced it, where you're in a shack or you're right next to a guy like three feet away and he's catching fish and you're not. I've, I've definitely seen it where I've had a client like right on a school and a hole three feet away and there's just there's no fish in that hole and the other guy's lit up. Yeah. And it's a no definitely. Doubt. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and sometimes those fish will stay under that one hole or to the other side and they will not come over that three feet ever. Yeah, one, I've seen the same thing. It's like it's 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 interesting because when they when they aren't moving, you do see that there's like a wall 
there's something yep. that just keeps them from coming towards that direction. And it's just like, all you got to do is just go drill holes outside your fish house and you'll catch fish all day long because they're that direction. Right. And yeah, you move your whole fish house, but if you're in a hard side fish house, you're kind of right. Angry, other than just going outside and drill more holes and go catch them that way. And it just seems to be really funny that there is that, that happens. It's just goofy. Yeah. For years we've sat, you know, sat next to each other, you know, Oh yeah, this guy's catching fish. This guy's is, and you try different bait, different technique, different jigging, everything, and it does. And now we're just realizing that it's as simple as there aren't fish over there. <laughs> Some days, yeah. Some days. So well, and then you know, you, it kind of too answers the old school of you know back when. Well, I always say when you back when you're fishing with Vexlar, you know, always will be fishing with a Vexlar when you're actually fishing right. And one of the things that's really neat about that though is. There's always guys, and I always heard the joke a little bit like, oh, well, you're just missing fish on your backside. You're just not seeing them sometimes. They could be right next to you. Why don't you fish that hole? Because it could be right by you. And I've always been, I've always questioned that. I've never fished for, I won't drop my bait down a hole, most likely. Let me say, I won't say never, right? There are some spots where you know, if you're really shallow water and your weeds and you're calling fish right, in right. through the weeds or something like that, yeah, I'll drop them down there. But if you're basin fishing, you're anything deeper than, say, 12 feet of water or deeper. If I'm not marking fish on my Vexlar, I'm not fishing that hole. And it and it and that's just kind of what it's always been. And I'm not gonna go up and down and even waste my time dropping my jig down the hole unless I actually see the fish there when I'm getting into the deep and base and stuff because the, the there's not fish there. And the the live scope definitely proves that out now for sure. Because yeah. you can definitely now know for sure that there is a fish there, but it also answers that question if they are off to the side a little bit. Well, maybe if I just stay in this hole one more second get up and down, maybe I can call one over, but most likely not. It's it is that difference to where like you saw it in the fish house, there's that little wall. That for some reason they're not there and you all you got to do is just go over five more feet because that's where they are and that live scope will, will show you exactly that every time and it stopped that play game of, okay are there fish there or not exactly and whether or not you're wasting time in your hole or not and before i ran panoptics on on basin crappies since we kind of went that way anyways that was that was one thing you ended up doing especially you know as a guide you can only drill so many holes at some point and if you're not landing on a school where you can find it with your transducer, you're going to have to jig out a hole for a little bit and just, you know, kind of hope you get one over. And it has changed that to now, like, I'm either always on fish or I know that I can't catch the, you know, that I can't physically catch up to them. <laughs> but, but I know where they're yeah. headed and it isn't the holes I'm in. So there's no point. That's one thing that it's always, it takes people a little bit when you're teaching them, like, don't keep fishing that hole. Like, follow me. Keep going. Because yeah. there's no fish over there. There's no fish for 100 feet from you. Nothing. Keep going yep. until you find it, until we're on them. And we'll be on them, you know, 15 feet of fish. But that is that is definitely true that there are some days where it seems like you push them so fast that you could almost, and the, there's so many fish swimming around that you could almost sit in a hole and do just as well. Because when you chase yeah. them, you just hard to catch them. But no, oh, no, 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 no. Yeah, yeah. And that's, but at least I mean, at least you're you're able to answer that question though this right. time, right? Because yep. before you're always like, okay, what are the fish doing right now? What are they doing today? Is it better to stay in a hole or is it better to move? And this will tell yep. you know you put some time into it. I mean, it may only take. 15 minutes to figure that out too, because you'll see if these fish are moving, are they not, you know, yep. when I catch one or two fish, can I catch more? You know what I mean? And if you're catching one, two fish and they're gone. Well, you know, that action of catching the one or two fish, maybe throwing one back down the hole 
scared off that school. Well, you can, you can answer that question with the live scope. And that's to me, yep. one of the biggest benefits right there. Yep. The, the, should I stay, should I go, should I camp or should we keep on drilling? Um, it definitely, it definitely answers it. You, you know, if you've been chasing them and chasing them, you've got a ton of holes. Sometimes it's worth just staying in a spot, letting that active drilling and everything just go away for a while and see if they swim back in. And, you know, if you, like you said, you can answer that. You get a little bit of an idea what's going on with that. And it, it's, well, Lawrence, it's been great having you. I think we're at about, uh, about time for tonight, but really appreciate you having, having you on and, uh, your insight into, into the world of Garmin and fan optics and, uh, and uh, live scope, and uh, we hope to have you on again soon sometime. Yeah, well, I appreciate it, and again, it's uh, it's a game changer, so it's always fun to have it, and it's fun playing with new toys and what you can do different, and again, like I said, pointing things in perspective view is something I'm still trying to teach myself, so it's something, it's another toy that you're always going to evolve with, and it's just, it's a fun thing to do with fishing again, so that's, it's, it's a cool toy to have. Awesome. And I appreciate having you, too. All right, thank you. All right, guys. That's a really great take. Lawrence is probably one of the most technical anglers we've had on all year, and that's considering some some excellent <laughs> anglers we've had on. He, he's, you know, doing that that tournament ice fishing stuff is a whole new level of, of fish catching for most and fish chasing than more than most of us are going to do. But he really gets in detail. And, you know, the panoptics and the live scope, and actually there's uh, both – Hummingbird and Lawrence are coming out with theirs next year. Lawrence has one out, I think, technically now. The active target, I believe. Um, so I'm hoping those... Well, I think Hummingbird has their Mega 360 for ice there right now also. And they're going Mega Live next year. Okay. So I'm not sure what that one's going to look like. I have seen the active target on YouTube videos and stuff like that. Check some of those out. Maybe we'll uh, post a couple of those on our Facebook page and Instagram for you guys to check out. Um and hopefully this starts bringing prices down a little bit starts you know bringing down the weight on some of them you would hope so i mean it goes with everything else i mean you look at when the first flasher's been around since the 80s but you look at a flasher unit from the 80s it looks like the old atari game that you played on uh black and white tv so everything's gonna come its rounds and it should eventually bring the price down and bring the weight down it's just gotta be the man the man there for it so yeah and i think the weight thing will come quickly now that there's a couple of players in the game they're gonna have to find ways to make it smaller and more compact in order to be to get that edge but i think it's definitely the wave of the future it is doing to ice fishing what the fl8 did to it back in absolutely 87 88 whenever that came out it is completely changing the game and um, and just changing the way we see fishing. And one other thing, uh, his fishing tournaments are a lot different than what yeah. our fishing tournaments they, are. Definitely, definitely. Ours, uh, yeah. <laughs> There's a lot less uh, Blackberry brand you can in his. I can guarantee you that. Yes, there is. <laughs> The Percocet, maybe, maybe not. <laughs> well, <laughs> we'll see how that one goes. Good luck with that, Larry or Lawrence. But uh, um, anyway, so that brings us to the part of the show we're going to talk about our tip of tips and techniques. And in Wisconsin, this is our last weekend right now when we're recording this of tip up fishing. 
Um, although you could probably still find a couple places in Wisconsin to tip up fish, but this is the, you know, statewide, the last one. But uh, a lot of other places, North Dakota, I think Minnesota, there's still some opportunities out there. And I think Minnesota ended last weekend. Minnesota did. North Dakota, you can still go, uh, I think, all season for game fish, at least on some of the lakes. And there's still some river opportunities out there. I know the uh, the Fox River Lakes, you can still go for walleyes and that sort of thing. So if you're in Wisconsin, Minnesota, there's still a few opportunities out there. You can apply this to some stuff for you know getting ready for next year also. And uh, definitely you can take advantage of some of those states and some of those places within your states where there's still some of these left to do. So without further ado, Luke, what do you got for us this week? And first of all, what I want to say is that when we say it's the last weekend for tip-up season, it's our last weekend for game fish. So it's your northern pike, your bass, anything that you're, it's basically anything that's not a panfish. Absolutely, you could take tactics and for panfish and put them towards tip-ups god knows i've caught a lot of crappies on tip-ups you get some goofy looks when you're going to set out tip-ups after game fish closes and you're catching crappies on them and they're like oh i thought you didn't know that tip-up season closes i'm like what was that tip-up season that's what everybody considers it in wisconsin but it's game fish season and i'm using this towards getting bigger panfish on there. Oh, I never thought about using them like that. I'm like, well, some people don't. I mean, it's one of the fun things we do with this sport is tying different tactics towards different things. And with that, one second. <laughs> when I've been fishing the last couple times with Larry Smith, we've, we've bite put out the boxes, bite me boxes. Yep, it I was has, getting that too. It has added 15 to 25% to our catch, yep. definitely. Because that minnow is always fishing for you, and it's always at the right height. And it is adding those extra fish. Sure, you miss a few because they don't hold on to it, but it, it adds a little bit. It breaks up the day because you'll get a box going when the jig bite is dead for some reason. Right. And it's just always fishing. You're adding a lot of fish to your catch. And one I was actually got the pleasure of meeting uh, Larry Smith with you when I was I got done with work actually early for once in my life, <laughs> and I got out there and I had just parked the truck and you called me and said you guys are out in the lake. I'm like, well, I'll come out and meet him. You could be in your hub flip top. I don't care. Twenty five yards away, and you can hear one of these bite me boxes go off. Yep. From the way the slam comes on, I'm, we were standing, like, 15 feet from it. It scared the hell out of me. <laughs> I didn't know what the hell was going on. Yeah, they give quite a clunk. They give <laughs> quite a clunk, and just look at them, and, yeah, the one thing I look at them for being a tip of fisherman is that the bigger bite me boxes, they don't break down. That's about yeah. the only thing I can see with them, but they have a very, very good setup for what they have. I mean... Yeah, some people will look at them and go say, "You can, well, I can make that in my garage." Uh, you you can no, not with that <laughs> trip mechanism on them. You're not making that in your garage. No, it's, you can breathe on it if you want. If you want to set it up that way, you can breathe on it and trip it. Exactly. The what you're looking at when it's closed, absolutely yes, you can make that in your garage. What's going on inside of it? Have have good luck trying to make that happen. Yep. But going with the last time that I was out on the ice, I had my dad and another one of our mutual friends out there. And like I said, we didn't get set up super early. 
not as early as I wanted. I was hoping to be out there at daybreak, but work got in the way, and I was not getting out of bed early. So we got out there, and I think we got set up about 9 o'clock. Eh, 8.30, quarter to 9. Got out there, and the first thing we do, is I don't care what time of year it is, the first thing we do is we go and pop up tip, our tip-up holes, and we get those soaking right away. And we'll move out and pop our pan fishing holes. And we had three of us out, so we had eight tip-up lines out in the water because each of us had a jig rod in our hand. Nope, that's wrong. Six. We had six tip-ups. <laughs> we'll edit that part out later, hopefully. But Maybe. <laughs> maybe. But we got everything set up, and one of us got a flag, and nothing else happened. And the biggest thing to do, even if you're on a good panfish bite and you're looking for that tip-up bite, if your flags haven't gone up, go out, check the depths, make sure they're not wrapped around weeds, wrapped around stumps. If, if say, you're in 10 foot of water and you set your middle and the middle of the water column, grab grab your middle of the foot. I did that. I had two flags within 20 minutes dropping my middle a foot in the water column. Even though that predator fish is looking up 95% of the time, I dropped it a foot. I had two flags within 20 minutes and made a huge difference. It's just moving that bait in the water column. Even though that middle is swimming around for you, it may not be swimming in the right depth of water. You may need to drop it a little bit. We didn't have great luck on what we did, but the fish we pulled... Yeah, we only pulled a 24-inch northern, 20 to 25-inch northern, but the thing was about as round as, I'll call it a blackberry bottle, a 175 blackberry bottle. It was right around that. It was fat. And we ended up getting a 17-inch bass also. And like I said in previous podcasts, I have no shame keeping a bass during the winter season, just like crappies. Crappies during the summertime, yeah, they're fun to catch, but... Without that cold water, it really doesn't firm up the foie that much. It's the same thing with the bass. You'll get a nice, firm foie come out of cold water, especially if you do a saltwater bath after you clean them in there for overnight, be able to rinse them. It'll firm that foie up and draw all the blood out of there from it. It'll make a huge difference on your cook for your fish. I will say, uh, I, and I don't disagree at all, I was really surprised because I've always said fish is a fish. When you're when you're frying it, if you do it right, it's all pretty good and almost the same. Like I can tell some species parts of I can't. And walleye isn't always the best. Actually, no. northern pike has been far and away blown me away. Yes, baking it, I didn't think there was any difference in panfish. But I tell you what, those bluegills we got on early in the year. Yep, I made tacos out of those. And a couple days later, I made crappie tacos because I was on, you know, catching yep. crappies all the time. Bluegills blew them away. The 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 texture of the actual fillet, not not even just they're not super mushy. I do the salt bath with right. like absolutely overnight salt bath everything. It has to be. I yep. mean, I, I talked to a couple of guys at work this week, and they go, "Well, we all sit in a bucket overnight, so that way it draws the blood out." I go, you "Clean them right away and throw a salt bath." And I use kosher salt because it's a thicker grade salt on there. So that way it's not dissolving as fast. You're drawing more of that off and putting more of it into the meat. It makes a huge difference oh, on doing your fish. Yep. And But even 
you know, they're nice, firm, crappy foils and bluegill foils, and the bluegills were definitely, definitely better. I, yeah, it's, hard to describe, but it's different. It's, the difference with that is amazing because you, you're trying to think about it. On, it's all oh, panfish is a panfish, game fish is a game fish, fish is a fish. That no, it's not. Right. Anybody in Wisconsin can tell you that you go out for your Friday night fish fry, and <laughs> you go out and get a piece of cod, and you can have a piece of cod fried. 16 different ways mm-hmm. and basically at that time you're just who's got the better batter who's got the better seasoning that's all it is yep you go to your buddy's house or your family's house when people got out was able to fish that day and bring home fresh fish out of ice cold water and you're frying up that night with potatoes you're not going out for a friday night fish fry at a bar or a local <laughs> tavern anymore because you're like oh who's going fishing during the week so that we can have a fish fry on friday night I have, well, you talk to my boss so that way I can actually get off throughout the week so I can get off there and get fish. We'll talk then. You know, and the other part of that, too, that we should talk about, and we do a little bit, is just, you know, the number of fish. I've, I've got, you know, two fish-eating kids, although the little one's starting to, me and my wife. And the other day, 10 crappies, 10 nice 10 to 11-inch crappies. We could barely finish that. I mean, that was a heck of a meal. Um, and just, you know, like we talked about, we, we definitely keep fish to eat. Absolutely. I've never went out and tried to keep my 25. No, <laughs> I don't want to clean that many. <laughs> that, and that's <laughs> what a it gets, long day. <laughs> and that's what it gets down to also is that it's, oh, everybody's after that limit. Everybody's after that limit. I'm like, okay, you're out there fishing by yourself. You're going to be cleaning those fish by yourself. Have fun cleaning 25 bluegills or crappies by yourself. You're already, sp- you're already spent from coming off the ice yep. of getting your limit. And then you're going to go and clean them. Also, on top of that, uh, you're not going to want to clean or <laughs> eat anything by the time you get done with that. You're looking for your recliner and the remote in your hand. Yep. And a lot of people do. and It's it's legal and it's fun. And, you know, go ahead. But... You know, not only is it good conservation, and with the amount of people we got out fishing, it's really important to, to think about that, the fish you're keeping, maybe throwing some fish back at some point, and, you know, maybe keeping a smaller limit from time to time isn't a bad thing, but just, it's a lot of fish. I mean, you get, you know, good-sized bluegills, or you get into those 10-plus-inch crappies, it doesn't take a whole lot to feed a person. <laughs> right, and everybody's looking for, like, the... Uh, Staple factor. Everybody's looking for that. Oh, everybody wants a nine-inch bluegill, ten-inch bluegill. Yeah, those are great fish, but the eight-inch bluegills are what you want to target to be able to eat. Yep. Eight and a half, eight to eight and a half, nine, ten-inch bluegills are a great bluegill, but those are going to be the ones that I'll I'll keep a couple of them. I'm not going to lie, but if I catch a majority of them, I'm going to throw some of those back in, like. The day I caught that 12 and three quarter inch bluegill that I posted on our Facebook page. Crappie. Oh, sorry, crappie. Yeah. That one <laughs> would have made the record books yeah, for Wisconsin if I did a bluegill on that one. But yeah, that crappie that I caught, I was catching nine, eight inch crappies on top of that. But I was just out there to be able to have a good time. And I caught that one. I threw it on the ice. So I kept a couple. Yep. Eight to nine inch crappies on top of that just to be able to get the flay knife dirty. I caught more than enough of the eight to nine inches, but I'm like, I'm gonna throw them back in the ice. I kept, I think, maybe six to eight yeah. that day. 
Because you end up coming out on the ice just to check everything out. Once I sent you that picture, you're like, <laughs> like where are you at? <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. I'm like, okay, we, we got some. That's actually, so it, it's been an off year with some, some winter kills in the last couple seasons and everything. That's That was the biggest crappie I think I've seen come through the ice. Definitely the thickest it, it, car. That was, yep. I think that's the fact that they're minnow eaters out there, not, yeah. not so plankton eaters. You probably... You've probably seen a couple that come close at length on it, but the mm-hmm. biggest thing that was with this crappie is that how thick it was. Yeah. We we get a lot of good crappies up here, but there's not a lot of thickness to them. This one had a set of shoulders on him. He was a good, thick crappie, and I, I lost one bigger than him at the hole, and <laughs> that's why I ended up having to set my shack up, and I was... I wish I could have put that one on the ice because I, I didn't have anything to measure him with because my sled was out next to my tip-ups with my tape measure in it. So the only thing I had was a spent LP bottle, one pounder, and I set that on the ice and set the crappie next to it, and I sent you a picture, and you're like, where are you at? (laughs) Be there in 15 minutes. (laughs) Yep, I want to check a couple things out. Yep, so, yeah, no, it's definitely... Definitely great to put a couple of those fish back. Nothing wrong with eating some fish there. You know, we talk about it every show. They're great table fare. Um crappies bass they're, they're all fun to catch all can be prepared well yep absolutely um, and as we've said a few times don't be afraid of a northern pike no because they are the best eating fish out there i don't almost care what you compare it to oh yeah and it doesn't matter how you do it i don't care because i've said a million times the only thing i pickle is a northern pike the only reason i do that is because a lot of people don't know how to get the y bones out of them but another thing yeah, where you got to understand, too, is that when you're put, if you're deep frying fish, those Y bones, if your oil is at the right temperature and those, if it's not a huge northern on there, those Y bones are going to disintegrate in hot oil. So you're going to be back down to just your meat again. Not everybody cleans fish the same, especially if you're somebody just coming in and trying fish for the first time that way. You gotta have a little diligence with doing it. Yep, and as we mentioned, there's there's tons of YouTube videos. There's a couple different ways. There's the five flays method. There's that's the way I prefer. Yeah, five flays is nice. It is probably my favorite too. Sometimes I'll just I'll just bone them out like a regular fillet and just take out that Y bone and and, and find it any way you do it. Um, it it really isn't that difficult if you just pay attention to what you're doing and do a little research on it, and you can get those bones out. 90%, 95% easily. Once you get the, the hang of it, you'll get them all out. Yep. And the little pin bones left. So even in bluegills, a lot of times, there's actually like a little, there's a little Y bone in bluegills. They just, they cook out. They, you they never notice out. them. Yeah, because they're so you small. You can feel them when you fillet them. Right. And you can't get them out without ruining the fillet, but you, you don't taste them or feel them with your tongue or anything. No, and you don't feel them when you chew them either. So, right. anyways, Luke, um, why don't you just tell them a little bit about what we got going on and uh, how to get a hold of us? You can uh, get a hold of us on our Facebook page at Iced Up Podcast. Um, we're actually going to start getting into, I mean, we are going to have a couple more episodes coming here through the ice off season. And we're going to try and get together and do a couple of them during the summertime. It might be down to about once a month with what's going on but during that we're going to look at what you can do in your boat be able to ready yourself for the upcoming ice season obviously when ice season gets close we'll go through our 
your preparation and other stuff that we have learned throughout that. But one thing we would really appreciate is if you guys have something that you would like us to talk about. I mean, we look at our Facebook page. I'm since we're getting down to a point of where we're not going to be able to get on the ice much anymore. Shoot us ideas. What do you want to hear us talk about? Do you have questions? I mean, we might if we don't answer your question on the Facebook page, we're going to try and get back to you in this podcast to be able to answer your questions for it. Another thing we got going on right now is that we've actually, Andrew and I were actually surprised about the following we got with this podcast. We got together and always talked about doing a podcast for ice fishing. And it, the response we got was great. I, it's been going good. We've, we're very thankful for that and appreciate everybody that's liked us, commented on it, shared it. it we're very appreciative of that. We're also looking at getting into a little bit of merchandise. We're looking at doing like some decals and maybe some t-shirts being the, we're going into the ice off season. Right. And maybe some hats. I mean, if you guys have any idea of what you would like to see us do, just go onto our Facebook page, let us know, drop us a line, let us know what you guys want us to talk about and what you guys would be interested in. We're doing some of the stuff for you know for ourselves anyways to have for our vehicles and you know to wear around for right. just to get the podcast out locally. So if there's anything you guys would want to see, hoodies, t-shirts, hats, anything that that you would like to see an iced up logo on, let us know because we're going to be uh, looking into you know that stuff for the off season here. Yeah, I mean, sure. like I said, we're going to be we're have a couple more podcasts coming out here. I mean, we might be able to get back to summer fishing excursions but once we get back into getting close to the we're starting yeah. to get to hard water we'll get right back into water yeah probably like next november ish yeah it's been really fun this far and we hope that you guys keep on listening and you've been listening to ice stop Don't <laughs>